Hello everybody, this is the third sermon in our series looking at what is our mission? Today the answer to that question is holiness. And this sermon is based on Exodus 19 verses 1 to 6 and Leviticus chapter 19. Have any of you ever driven a car with a cross or fish symbol on the back? Whenever I see one of these cars, it gets me thinking. At first, it always impresses me that these drivers want all other road users to know who they are. They are a Christian, a follower of Jesus, and they are proud of it. As someone who has never put a Christian symbol on my car, I wonder whether I should be a bit more overt about my faith. But after these initial thoughts, I then start to wonder whether these drivers realise the responsibility they now carry. They have made themselves distinctive, taken deliberate steps to stand out. So now they have the attention of other drivers. To the watching world, they are now representatives of the God they so proudly claim to worship. If they drive erratically, too slow, too fast, cutting people up, waving fists out the window, using a mobile phone while driving, they're not only a danger to others, but they are communicating something bad about God. That he is inconsiderate, prone to angry tempers, and frankly, best avoided. Of course, the opposite is true also. If they drive well, showing care to other road users, they are communicating something more appropriate about the God of love and service that they worship. Today, we are thinking about the topic of holiness, To be holy is to be set apart or distinctive so that everyone knows who and whose you are. At its simplest then, we are thinking about what it is to be God's representatives on earth. But don't worry, we're not going to be asking us all to put Christian stickers on our cars, though some might like to do so. We're not going to be requiring overtly religious or pious acts. Instead, we're going to be thinking about the message we are sending to onlookers just by the way we live our daily lives. Maybe this quote from the famous evangelist D.L. Moody will help us to get the idea. A holy life will make the deepest impression. Lighthouses blow no horns, they just shine. One final thing to clear up before we begin. Being holy is not the same as being boring. Rather, it's an invitation to live life to its very best. It is also often the best way we have of witnessing to our sometimes cynical friends. As C.S. Lewis wrote, How little people know who think that holiness is dull when one meets the real thing. It is irresistible. It would be helpful at this point for us to have a brief recap of our Sunday evening series so far. Over the last two weeks, we have learned some very important things. First, our God has a purpose. His mission is to restore his beloved creation, which has been damaged by human sin. To put that another way, he wants to replace the curse that has fallen on all the nations of the world with his wonderful blessing. Second, we have learned that God 
has a people. God made all human beings out of his great love, but then he elected some to special service. First, he chose Israel, the offspring of Abraham, and then through Jesus, he chose us, the church. Third, we are beginning to discover that God has a plan. God knows how his people can achieve his purpose, and he has had it recorded for us to read in his word. The title of our series is What is Our Mission? For nine weeks, we are asking the most fundamental questions of human existence. Who are we and what on earth are we here for? And we are discovering that our purpose is ultimately to join God in his. So let's say again, as believers in Jesus, we are the people of God, called to bring God's blessing to the world. Over the seven weeks we have left in this series, we're going to be focusing on the question, how do we practically go about doing that? And we're going to start where the Bible starts, with God's priority for Israel, holiness. Our mission as believers is to live a holy life. In order for us to fully understand our readings, we need to know something of the story behind them. But as we have just studied this in detail on Sunday morning, I'll now give us a whistle-stop version. God promised Abraham that he would have a family. He kept this promise, a miraculous child was born, and the family of Israel began to grow. Sadly, though, there was a famine in the land, and Israel had to travel as refugees to Egypt. In Egypt, Israel began to be oppressed as an ethnic minority. They were made to work as slaves. In their misery, the people of Israel began to cry out to God with pain-filled groans. But God heard their cry. His heart was moved with compassion and he remembered the promise he had made to Abraham. So there and then God decided to step in and rescue them. He did this by calling Moses, sending a series of plagues and finally defeating the evil Pharaoh by bringing the Red Sea down on his head. God then started leading his people through the wilderness towards the land he had promised them. He gave them food and water and fought off their enemies on the way. Eventually, when he had got Israel to a safe distance and he knew he had their full attention, God gathered all his people at Mount Sinai and turned up in person to meet them. This dramatic event was conducted with one purpose in mind. God had a very important message For his people. It was time for them to understand who they really were. It was time for them to understand their purpose in life. It was time for them to understand how they were to go about living the rest of their lives. Let us listen to some of these vital instructions once more. Exodus 19, 3 to 6. Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. I want us to notice that in these verses, God reminds Israel who they are. They are his rescued people, the recipients of his grace, 
Before he asks anything of them, they are the objects of his love and care. Notice also that God subtly reminds Israel of their purpose, which began all the way back when he had chosen Abraham. The whole earth is God's, and he has called Israel to help all the nations come to know about him. It is no coincidence that God called Moses to the top of a high mountain to give him this message. As Moses looked down from the top of Mount Sinai, he saw Israel's mission field before him, and it was vast as far as the eye could see and beyond to the rest of creation. But then crucially, God said something new. He gave his first instruction on how Israel were to achieve their mission. God said, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. It is so important we understand that verse. So let us break it down into its two parts before putting it back together again. First of all, God's people were called to be a kingdom of priests. What are priests? In the Old Testament, priests were middlemen. They stood in between God and humanity and served both with acts of representation. In one direction, the priest represented God to the people. They did this by teaching the people about God and by upholding his law. In the other direction, the priests represented the people to God. They did this by coming before the Lord and praying for the people, offering up sacrifices on their behalf, particularly when sins needed forgiven. The task of a priest then was really important. Priests brought God to the people and brought the people to God. But notice what God says in this verse. This was not to be just the task of the religious elite. This was to be the task of all the people of Israel. God's people were to be priests for the world. Through his people, God would become known by the wider nations. Through his people, God would draw the world to himself. Just think about this for a moment. How did you first find out about God? Whatever your personal story, I already know the answer. One of God's people somewhere either told you about God or gave you a Bible. They acted as a priest for you. This has been God's method of working for thousands of years. Interestingly, the prime privilege of a priest in the Old Testament was to bless people in the name of God. In number six, we read the prayer they used to pray over others. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. The role of Israel was to bless the nations, just as we learned by looking at the story of Abraham last week. Can you see how this series is all pulling together? God has one plan for his people and he is sticking to it. And just in case you are wondering, this language about being priests is not just for the Old Testament either. It is used regularly in the New Testament to describe our role as Christians. The Apostle Paul understood himself as a priest. In Romans 15, he wrote, 
God gave me grace to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God. Can you see to Paul, evangelism, speaking about Jesus was a priestly task. Then there was Peter, whose writing was even more explicit. He saw the whole church as the priesthood of God. Listen to this from 1 Peter 2. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. In those verses, Peter says something very important. As the church, we are to act as priests in the way we live our everyday lives. We are to represent God to the world, not just by car bumper stickers, but by holy living. In fact, Peter knows that our holy living will help lead people to faith. So let's now turn to the second part of God's call to Israel given on Mount Sinai. Alongside being a kingdom of priests, God's people were to be a holy nation. At this point, we need to be very clear about something. In the Old Testament, the word holiness is not a synonym for religious. Not at all. Holiness is about being distinctive, different, set apart from the world around you. In the Old Testament, Israel were called to be as different from the nations around them as God was different to the fake pagan idols that those nations worshipped. By being different, Israel would accurately represent God to the people who so desperately needed to learn of him. In a way, Israel were already different to the nations around them. God had set them apart the moment he busted them out of Egypt. Listen to this in Leviticus 20. You are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy and I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. Again, Israel were not to act holy to gain God's favour. They were to be holy because that was who they already were. God's rescuing love had made them so. But holy living does still take thought. Because we are always tempted by peer pressure to just fall back into acting in the same way that everyone around us does. In Israel's case, they were to live as God's people among Egyptians and Canaanites. This is Leviticus 18. You must not do as they do in Egypt, where you used to live, and you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you. Do not follow their practices. You must obey my laws and be careful to follow my decrees. I am the Lord your God. In the ancient world, Egypt were known for their idolisation of military power, empire and frequent use of violence. The Canaanites were known for their idolisation of Baal, the pagan god of fertility. They spent their lives chasing money, sex and power. 
God makes it very clear in these instructions, which were also given while they were at Mount Sinai, that Israel were to go down a very different route. They were to live a holy life, a life that represented to the world, not a God of war or materialism, but the God of love and sacrifice. Now, as I tried to show with my car sticker illustration, if we are going to truly represent God to the world, it's going to require a lot more than a few surface level decorations. In the Old Testament, God made it clear that for Israel to represent him well, they were going to have to take action in every area of their lives. Holy living would require thought in their personal life, family life, social life and economic life. In every location, God's people were to think to themselves, what would God do here? How would he act in this situation? And then they were to try to copy him. This is why we read Leviticus 19 together. Leviticus 19 is perhaps the most comprehensive chapter on the ethical dimension of holiness. It begins with the words, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. And then continues with God listing how Israel were to be different. This list included the respecting of parents and the elderly, loyalty to God by keeping the Sabbath and the sacrifices, generosity to the poor and foreigners, maintaining good relationships, paying proper wages to your employees, showing compassion to the disabled, treating all people justly, so no bias, favouritism or prejudice. Loving your neighbour, whoever they are. Sexual fidelity and marital integrity. Rejection of the occult and all forms of idolatry. Tackling racism and treating all refugees and migrants well. Being honest in all commercial transactions and business. Some people think the Bible is out of date, especially the Old Testament. I cannot think of a more relevant set of practical instructions. So many recent bad headlines in the news would have been avoided if the people involved had paid attention to Leviticus 19. And did you notice, all the way through the chapter came this repeated refrain, I am the Lord, I am the Lord, I am the Lord your God. God was bending over backwards to say, this is who I am. So this is how you, my people, are to behave. This is what I would do in the situation you are facing. So this is what you are to do. There is no doubt if Israel obeyed these instructions, they would stand out. People would see something of God just by the way they went about their daily living. Soon those unbelievers would be attracted enough to want to come and find out more. As they came up into Israel with their questions, Israel would then have the opportunity to tell them why they lived like that they would have the opportunity to tell them about God. This was God's plan on how to bring blessing to the world, mission by attraction. And again, just in case you are wondering, this is not just the Old Testament. Jesus called his disciples to behave in exactly the same way. We read these words just a few weeks ago when looking at the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew five thirteen to 16 you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. 
A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So to conclude, what was it that C.S. Lewis said? How little people know who think that holiness is dull. When one meets the real thing, it is irresistible. The church's call to holiness is not about acting pious or having a smug attitude, quite the opposite actually. Holiness is not just about what we do in church on a Sunday, although that is involved. Holiness starts in our home, workplace and neighbourhood. This is where we are called by God to be his holy people. In this series, we are discovering that we have been called by God to join him in his mission. God wants to bless the whole world. He wants all the nations to come to know him and he wants to use us to do it. The task of each one of us is to be a priest, to represent God to the world. The task is lived out by us trying to live a holy life, trying to do what God would do in every situation we find ourselves in. Of course, we'll get it wrong at times, but God's forgiveness will remain available to us when we confess our mistakes. But that is no excuse not to try. Our world needs to see God and they see him through our actions. So we finish with this question. How are we going to live distinctively this week? Just think of the breadth of Leviticus 19. How are we going to represent God amid all the people we come across? May our living, both as church and individuals, be irresistible to all those who see it. And may the holy God get all the glory as people turn to him.